0: I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. A number of people have commented, uh, if not directly, obliquely, you know what that means. <laughs> Wondering when uh, I was going to quit talking about money. How many know I'm not talking about money? I'm talking about What? Talking about attitude. Attitude. I think you'd agree that, that most of us on a fairly regular basis need a attitude adjustment. I mean, even the even the most well-meaning among us, we you know, if we, we need someone to say, hey, oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, that's right. So we're talking about attitude. It's a matter of attitude. Life is a matter of attitude. How I live my life. Is quite frankly determined by my attitude. How I carry out my beliefs is determined by my attitude. We're not exactly talking about money, we're talking about attitude. And you can never talk enough about money, isn't that true? And you can never talk enough about attitude? So, what are we talking about? Attitude. Matthew chapter 25, this is a a fascinating, I think, uh, one of the the greatest parables that Jesus teaches. It's the parable of the talents. It's no doubt many of you are are familiar with it. I think it's interesting that it's uh, at the end of Jesus' life that he teaches this parable. That in itself, I think, is instructive. It's like he's making this grand summary statement, if you will. And it really is a statement about a person's attitude and how that attitude is carried out in his or her life. We've talked about acknowledging and believing and submitting ourselves to uh, the sovereignty of God. And, And so no matter what state we're in, wherever we find ourselves, the color of our hair, the body type we possess, all these things we may kick against, but none, but the reality is is that, is that we, we bow to the sovereignty of God. God, you're sovereign. You made me this way. You put me in this place at this time. I find myself in this marriage with these wonderful kids, in this job with these gifts, abilities, talents, and And rather than trying to get out of those things and to change those things, I want to make the most of them. You've called me to be a good steward. See, that's a matter of attitude, isn't it? I want to be a good steward. I want want you to be pleased with how I live this life that you have entrusted to me. Am I making sense so far? Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, really, it's it's another way of saying, speaking to God's sovereignty, the reign of God. God is king. He's the ruler of it all. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Whose property is it? Gods. We said that. Everything belongs to God, right? He entrusted his property to them. Our very lives belong to him, don't they? We're his property. Entrusted his property to him. To one he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. You might want to underline that phrase. Each according, God has made each of us specifically. He's gifted each of us specifically. He's put each of us in a place that's specifically designed for us. He provides specifically everything that we need. God, you've given me too much and, and I can't handle all this. No, no, no. He says, I know exactly what you can handle. I've entrusted to you according to your ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and successful servant. Not successful? We would say successful. Jesus says what? See, it's a matter of faithfulness. He's not measuring our success as we do. He measures our faithfulness. What I have entrusted to you, are you faithful with it? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received the one talent came master. He said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. You know, wickedness and laziness lead to fear and worry. Do you know that? These are things that characterize this man's attitude. So I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Although the the term talent, and and it's specifically a reference to money, and money is an important thing, isn't it not? We, We need it. We think about it all the time, don't we, pretty much? Think about it. We think about how to get more of it, how to keep it, how to keep from losing it, lose sleep over money. I know people actually lose sleep over money. They try not to, but they do because they think about it so much. Money is a very, very important thing. The Bible talks more about money than any other subject in the Bible. Do you know that? More than heaven and hell. Why is that? Because God knows that we we love it so much. (laughs) He says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He wants us to trust him. So the text all just talks about the stewardship of, of, of money, resources. But we want to expand that to include more than just that, don't we? What do we do we do with the time? Are we excellent stewards over the time? The gifts, the abilities, the talents. Are we pouring those resources into the kingdom of God? He says, this is the kingdom of God. This is what it's like. Or are we building our own kingdoms? That's something certainly for us to ponder. So he calls us to be good and faithful servants. Is that a fair statement? Can I say that? We're all called to be good and faithful servants, not like the wicked, lazy servant, right? We all want to hear those words when we cross over the bar, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I, that, I just presume that, right? Some of you know Don Mockett, and Don has uh, been a part of our church for years and years and years. And uh, he's, as, we, as we speak, he's fading away. And I was at his bedside uh, a few days ago. And he's lamenting he he hasn't done enough. He has a huge family. He has 29 grandchildren and great grandchildren. A number of those folks aren't saved. That's what he's referring to. I haven't done enough. And I assured him he's sown ample seed and that there will be any number of us who will follow behind him and water those seeds, there will be growth. I had the privilege of whispering in his ear, well done, good and faithful servant, in anticipation of his arrival in the presence of Jesus. We're all called to be good and faithful servants, and and especially in the context of our financial resources. And if we are to be good and faithful stewards in that particular area, then we need to recognize some things. We need to, one, acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Ask yourself this question. What is my attitude regarding the sovereignty of God? Do I see and acknowledge that God is sovereign over everything? And what does that mean? If we are to be good and faithful servants, we need to be aware of and avoid the subtlety of debt. Jesus came to set us free. He didn't didn't come that we could slip back into bondage. What's your attitude towards debt? No big deal? Or do you abhor it? If we are to be good and faithful servants, then we need to adopt the centrality of the tithe. In other words, what is my attitude towards the tithe? Is it optional? Is it, well, I'm a New Testament person and New Testament people don't tithe? Or or what's the deal about that? This is absolutely central. God says the tithe is mine. You recall in the book of Joshua when Achan... An Israelite, obscure Israelite. After the Israelites had conquered the city of Jericho, Jericho was holy to God. It was the tithe of the land as they would take over the promised land. First city. God told his people, he says, everything in Jericho is holy to me. And yet Achan took some for himself. What's your attitude toward the tithe? Number four, if we are to be good and faithful servants, we need to accept God's plan. We need to accept God's plan. And we need to learn how to enjoy the security of obedience. There is security in obedience. God, I want to do this your way. I trust you, and I trust that this book is is the truth, and I want, to, I want to live my life on the basis of your instructions. After all, you know what the Bible means. B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. This passage is... Uh, It's about a man by the name of Naaman. And it speaks specifically to this issue of obedience. God's plan and being obedient to God's plan. In chapter 5 of 2 Kings, verse 1, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. So, so the, the, word, the word of God lists all these credits to Naaman. But now notice this last phrase, but. But. He had what? Leprosy. Now a leper in the ancient Near East, and more particularly in Israel under the law, though name is not an Israelite, a leper was often shunned. And, and certainly under the Mosaic law, if you were an Israelite, you were now unclean. If you were, if you were walking down a street and some people were walking towards you and you had leprosy, you were to yell. You had, you had to give them warning, unclean, 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 so they could avoid you because they didn't know what the guy had. To, all the skin diseases were, 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 uh, were, were uh, grouped under this one heading of leprosy whether it was actual, the literal disease of leprosy as we understand it, or if it was some some other kind of disease. But they're all called leprosy. But he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. We don't know why Elisha didn't come outside and talk to him directly. Maybe because he was a leper. Couldn't be in his presence. Or maybe it was a faith lesson for Naaman or maybe it's both. So Naaman said, okay, if that's what I should do, then I'm going to jump in the Jordan River and wash seven times. Is that what he says? No. But Naaman went away angry. He said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. I thought there would be a big spectacular show. He just sent a messenger out. Tell me to go down to the Jordan and watch seven times. Are not Abana and the Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? (laughs) On the waters of Israel. (laughs) Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. And then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. Naaman's life, Naaman's situation can teach us a number of things. Certainly, there are six, what I think, life-changing lessons that we can learn from that, that passage. And they can have a direct application to our finances or any area of our life, for that matter. First lesson is this. No one is immune from problems. I don't care who you are, I don't care how great you are. Naaman was a great man, but he had a problem. He had leprosy. No one is immune from problems, no matter what your position in life. All you have to do is look at your life and say, you know, I've got a problem. Everybody has problems. The second thing we learn is that God will use the most unlikely sources to get us what we need. In this case, name a situation, it was the servant girl who was captured earlier. Notice she's unnamed, but she's immortalized for all eternity. Some obscure servant, how did she know? She had no clue that God would use her this way taken from her family, captured. Now she's a servant girl in Naaman's household, serving his wife. You just never know how God's going to use you. See, that's when you learn to trust God's sovereignty, God's sovereign will and purpose, things that very often do not make any sense to us. Number three. The answer to our problem won't usually be what we want to hear. Was the answer to the problem, Naaman's problem, what he wanted to hear? No. What did Elisha tell Naaman to do? Just go down into the Jordan River and wash seven times. Now put yourself in Naaman's place. Would that make sense to you? No, you come, you come with this anticipation that he's going to put on a big show, big production for you. You're Naaman. He doesn't even come out to say hello to you. (laughs) Sends a messenger. I'll go tell him to wash in the Jordan seven times. Number four. Because the answer to our problem won't usually be what we want to hear, we'll be tempted to come up with our own plan. Anybody, be, anybody here ever tempted to lean on their own understanding? <laughs> Don't lean on your own understanding. Always, always, always acknowledge him in all of your ways. If you don't know what to do, don't do anything until you learn what to do. If you don't know where to turn in the Bible, call somebody and ask them. Help me. Give me some counsel. Give me some wisdom. Naaman's plan was what? To go back to Damascus and wash in the rivers of Damascus. Instead of the stinking river in Israel. Number five, wise friends will always encourage us to do what God says. What kind of friends? Wise friends. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Ooh, but they'll get mad at me. I've talked to people and spoken directly into their life. Painful things, difficult things, hard things for them to hear. They don't want to hear them. They left the church. Sad. Not many people can take a rebuke. Not many people can take instruction. Too many of us are prideful. We think we know Wise friends, good friends, genuine friends will always encourage us to do what God says. One of the surest ways, one of the surest ways that you can tell a true and wise friend is they will always tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And sometimes it is so painful to hear the stuff that we need to hear. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A true friend will stick with you. They'll say things to you that you may not want to hear. You just have to say, okay. (laughs) You have to cut yourself a big piece of humble pie and gag it down. (laughs) Number six. God's way is always the right way. God's way is always the right way. There is great security in obedience. You may not see it. You may not fully understand it until after the fact. There isn't a parent around who teaches their child, trust me, obey me. Do what I'm telling you to do. You're going to thank me later. You're not going to understand. But why? Why? I'm not going to explain it to you. You're not going to understand it. You just have to do what I say. Is that true? There's great security and obedience. Naaman eventually, he eventually did what he was told to do, and he was healed. You will never obey God and regret it. True? Never regret it. I've never heard one person come back to me and say, you know, I did what God said and I regret it. <laughs> Obedience always requires two things, by the way. This is, this is important. Obedience always requires two things. First of all, it requires faith. You have to believe. You believe the person. You believe in the person. Your child may not understand all this stuff. They may not believe uh, in the rationale, but they believe you. They trust you. Okay, I'm going to do what you say. I'm forever telling people, giving them counsel, pointing them in the right direction. I say, no, just trust me. Do this. Trust me. I know what I'm talking about. I show them in the scriptures three, four, five, six times where it says the same thing, different words. Just do this. It requires faith. Requires faith. If you're, if you're going to choose to obey, it requires faith. The issue simply is, am I willing to trust God and do it His way? Obedience to God will always require faith on our part. And secondly, it requires faithfulness. Faith is critical, but also faithfulness. It requires Our faithfulness. God is faithful to His Word, but our obedience requires not only our faith that we believe, but it requires our faithfulness. You have to ask this can God trust me to do this? Can God trust me to do this? Or am I a faithless steward? Am I going to bury whatever he's entrusted to me? Am I going to bury it in the ground? Am I willing to stay in the process? Am I willing to see this thing through to the end? We're all pretty good at starting out doing the right thing. We're pretty good at starting out doing the right stuff. But too often we give up too soon. It's just too hard. We're trying to find the the light at the end of the tunnel. Do you know that there's no light at the end of the tunnel? No. The Bible says, "Light arises in the midst of the darkness for the upright." You're in the process. You're trusting God, and you don't know when. You just don't know when the light's going to. You don't know when the breakthrough's going to come. That's what requires faithfulness. We look down that long, dark tunnel, and we say. I don't see any light. It's interminable. Oh. Jesus says what? Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Just be faithful today. Be faithful today. You don't know, but light will arise in the midst of the darkness for you. You see, it takes faithfulness. The question you want to ask yourself is, Will I stay the course? Will I see this through to the end? Will I stay the course? When you decide to obey God, be prepared for three things to happen. Okay, I'm going to obey God. Okay, how many have made that decision? Okay, all right, I know what you want me to do. I'm going to do it. Okay, now, once you've made that decision, you have to be prepared for three things. Number one. Discouragement. Do you know that discouragement is the devil's greatest, greatest weapon against you? He is constantly working to discourage you. Discourage you. And he is so good at it. This is why the Bible says again and again and again and again, encourage one another. Why? Because the devil is over here trying to discourage you. You look at people, you just have to know. Everybody is under attack. There's none of us who are immune. Everybody needs encouragement. True? Do you understand? The devil will come along and he will tempt you. He knows that the flesh is weak. And it does not like to be disciplined. (laughs) The flesh goes, "Man, it hurts. It's not comfortable. I want to sleep in." Don't make me do that. Don't make me serve. I wish he'd quit talking about making disciples. I just want to come and sit and listen and go home. We don't like to be disciplined. We don't like these things. Our flesh doesn't like it. And the devil knows that. He'll discourage you. You'll find yourself in a place where where you are really embracing obedience and you're disciplining yourself and the devil's going to come along and he's going to tempt you to say, why am I doing all this? Why am I disciplining myself? Why am I going without while everyone else seems to be having so much fun? (laughs) Beloved, be prepared ahead of time. There are going to be discouragements coming your way and especially when you commit to obedience. Now, if you don't commit to obedience, no discouragements. He's going to leave you be. He's, just, he's not going to upset your apple cart one bit. You know that? He's quite happy because your life is going to discourage somebody else's. He doesn't have to. You're going to do his work for him. Second thing, when you choose to obey, beware of distractions distractions so oh. they'll come and if you don't watch it you'll rationalize you will get off the track and the devil will lead you right back into bondage Jesus sets us free the devil leads us back into bondage if we're not paying attention the Bible says don't look to the left or to the right in other words don't be distracted Look straight ahead. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. When Peter was distracted when he saw the waves and the sound and the wind and so forth, he sank. My gosh, the guy was walking on water just an instant before. Jesus said, Come on out of the boat. Jesus, and Peter obeyed, got out of the boat by faith. And he was distracted. The third, third thing to watch for are detractors. Detractors. People will, will come and they'll make fun. They'll say, what are you doing? Come on, you don't believe that. Or they'll try to convince you there's a, a better way than God's way. The devil did that with Jesus, remember? Out in the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus was fasting, being tempted. The devil tried to convince him, you don't have to go that way. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. There's a better way. A little trade-off, a little compromise. There's a better way. Beware of detractors detracting you. Beloved, God never calls us to the easy way. Do you know that? He never calls us to the easy way. He never calls us to the lazy way, the inexpensive way, or the convenient way. He calls us to the narrow way, to the right way. Broad is the road to destruction, and many are on it. Narrow is the way to life, and few, now listen to Jesus' words, and few who find it. I mean, you can be part of the herd. You just go with the herd, go with the crowd, look around. Well, I guess everybody else is doing this, so I guess it's okay. I'll just be with everybody else. You know, we're all in the same boat. Broad is the way to destruction. Many who are on that path. Narrow, he says, is the way to life. And few who find it. Many will come to me on that day, and many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this stuff in your name? He said, never did I know you. You're on the broad way. You were just into this for yourself. You weren't into it for me. He always calls us to the right way. And the right way is a narrow way. It's a hard way. Being a Christian is hard. It's hard. It's not grievous. It's hard. Well, I thought Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, it's easy and light. Yeah, compared to what the world wants to put on you. Absolutely. When you you learn to submit to Christ, when you learn to put on his yoke, when you learn to walk by faith, trusting in him, you find it is the best thing you could do. Our job is to decide to listen. Our job is to decide to listen. There's a great, great passage Back in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel. Young Samuel has been weaned, his mother's weaned him and and given him back to the Lord and entrusted his life into the care of Eli, the old wicked high priest in the temple in ancient Israel. And Samuel is sleeping at night. He's off on the side. He hears a voice. He thinks it's Eli calling him. Goes, Eli, no, it wasn't me who called you. Repeats it, repeats it, and repeats it. And finally, Eli says, not me. You better go listen again. There's God calling him. And Samuel says this. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Say that with me. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now, we reverse that. We say, listen, Lord, for your servant is speaking. (laughs) True? We're always telling God what to do and how to do it, God. Our job is to decide to listen. I don't know that there's a more eloquent prayer that you could pray. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I want to know how you think. I want to know, and I want to know you better. I want to understand, I want to read your book. Talk to me. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Our job is to decide to listen. Our responsibility is to obey him and to do what he tells us. Because we can. Remember, he he gives to each one of us according to our ability, right? Oh, I could could never do that. How do you know? Give it a try. Beloved, when we apply God's principles, we apply God's ways, we will always get, now note this, this is very important, we will always get God's results. How many know that that's very often different from our results? We we try to apply God's principles. We try to apply God's ways, and our whole goal is to get what? Our ways. It's a very subtle thing. We want God's results. And God's results very often are going to be different from the results we're seeking. How many have told God how to do it and what to do? This is what I need. This is how you should do it. I know exactly. I I got it all figured out. God, do it this way. It'll work if you do it my way. Now let me share with you eight simple strategies. Eight simple strategies of stewardship. If you're in debt, these are going to help you get out of debt. If you want to be forever, forever free from financial stress and difficulty... Follow these eight simple just obey them. Don't be like Naaman who says pff, pff, kicking against the goads and going off angry and all ticked off and you know someone has said, come on, just do what the Bible says. Number one. This is key. Ready? Trust God. Trust God. Trust him with all your heart. Jesus says, what, put the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. Priorities, trust God, trust God, put him first. Honor him, acknowledge him. Number two, tithe. Tithe. If you don't trust God, you won't tithe. Without question, tithing is critical to financial success. I believe that tithing is tied to a lot of issues in a person's life that are going wrong, not just financially. Because see, tithing is symptomatic of actually trusting God. It it really is. Okay, I trust you, God. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna honor you. And when you start down that trail, it opens up other, other drawers, other trailheads for you to begin to say, Oh, oh I see oh, okay, I'll obey this area. and I'll do this. I'll honor you here. You begin to see things in your in your life maybe clear up that are clouded. Every Christian ought to be a faithful, consistent tither. Remember, God doesn't need our money. We need to give it. We need to give it. Number three, develop a budget. Develop a budget. You say, is that in the Bible? Yeah, I found a couple verses. Luke chapter 14, verses 28 and 29. Look at these verses with me. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will what? Ridicule him. I want to suggest to you, in those verses, in those verses, Jesus encouraged planning. He encouraged preparing. He encouraged strategizing. If I don't know, if that doesn't describe a budget, I don't know what does. Budgeting. Develop a budget. For some people, that's a nasty word. Budget. Ooh. Ooh. I don't want to be constrained. Well, maybe you need to. Number three, get out of debt. Get out of debt. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Lender. Get out of debt. Stop being a servant to some financial institution or to some person. Get out of debt and just be God's servant. Get out of debt. Now, remember the word interest? Remember that word, interest? Don't forget what that word really means. If you are paying interest, here's what it means. Someone else is making money, not you if you're paying interest. Someone else is making money off of you. Remember what the letters D-E-B-T mean. Yeah, dumb explanation for buying things. (laughs) Or if you feel like you have to go into debt to get it, then those letters mean don't even buy that. Don't go into debt, don't buy anything If you can't pay cash for it, oh, wait a minute, that's unreasonable. I had a lady Friday night tell me, well, you know, I don't always pay cash. I use my credit card. And I'm pretty smart, see, because I pay it off every month and I got 360 points. (laughs) I said, wow, that's very good. Yeah, 360 points. I wonder how much the credit card company made off you and gave you 360 points. I think they're smarter than you. That's why they give away the points. They want to entice you to use that. It's easier to buy when you use your credit card than if you don't have any cash in your pocket, you can't buy it. I had a conversation yesterday with a a person who's in a real tight pinch financially right now. There's there's not enough money to cover the next few weeks, and so I'm gonna put it on my credit card. <laughs> so when was the last time you put something on your credit card? Oh, a while ago. How, how, what's your balance like? Oh, I'm trying to pay it down, but I don't have the money to pay it down now. Credit. Don't buy anything if you can't pay cash for it. But we just don't like to wait. (laughs) i got to have those new shoes now. The world's going to come to an end if I don't get those shoes. We want to have what we want when we want it, and that is right now. Isn't that true? Start paying off your debts. Come to the Crown Financial Seminar, and they're going to teach you how to pay off your debts. It's, it's, mir- it's, it's miraculous. Number five: start saving. Start saving. Proverbs 13:11: Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow, little by little. There is this miracle that God has built into the universe called compound interest. Just keep doing it little by little, little by little. You'll be amazed. Start saving. Always spend less than you earn. Spend less than you earn. Set a goal to have more money left at the end of the month than more money left at the end, more month left at the end of the money. After you give God His tenth, you save a tenth. You've got His tenth and you try to save a tenth for yourself. Number 6. Begin a margin fund or an emergency fund. That's a separate little fund just for emergencies, just just in case. Doesn't be a lot, just a little bit. Just put a little bit away. Whatever you can away consistently. Just put it's called a little margin, little margin, a little bit more margin, a little bit more margin, a little bit more margin. So someone comes along and says, "Oh man, I'm in a jam. I need some help. You've got something to help." Or a need comes up for, 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 for a church. Or a missionary comes in, and you want to help the missionary. You've got a margin fund. You're very deliberate about that margin fund. Number seven. You need to have a will. A will. Or a trust. Or some, some financial instrument. If you have any assets whatsoever. If you have a life. Somebody needs to be able to do something with you. Not just the state. Have some kind of instrument that helps others deal with what you leave behind. Number eight, don't quit. Don't turn back. Don't quit, don't turn back. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked by what anybody else says. Don't allow yourself to be distracted by what happens. Do not quit. Do not turn back on these simple principles. Jesus says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I've set my course. I've set my course. I'm not looking back. I'm not turning back. There's a classic example of somebody who looked back. Who was that? Lot's wife. Remember, back in the book of Genesis? Here, the angels of the Lord have come and said they're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. They warn Lot. Lot gets his wife and his daughters, and they're, they're booking it. They're getting out of town. Except for Lot's wife. She looks back. What happened to her? Boom. Boom it's all over for her remember Naaman remember Naaman the issue wasn't the washing the issue was the obeying he obeyed and he was blessed amen what's your attitude toward the sovereignty of God What's your attitude towards debt? What's your attitude toward the tithe? And what's your attitude towards obedience? Comes down to that, beloved. Shall we pray? Lord, we do pray. We do thank you. We do worship you this morning. Fathers, we come to your table. Pray that, uh, Lord, we would be listening. Thank you.